Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. You've, you've heard us speak about the quarterly focus here. Um, Bryce has designed a uh, three-year plan where we cover a dozen or so topics that are important to us in the church. The, it, the, when we do that, this gives us an opportunity to highlight these different topics for a, um, an amount of time, a, a, you know, a quarter, it's a, it's a few months. And, and with that, then we can dive into them in, in different ways. We try to use different avenues um, or uh, mediums to cover these topics because we want you all to know what these topics are, what we believe, what we do with them. We want to give you an opportunity to learn and to grow in your knowledge and understanding of these important truths. But what we really desire is not just that you gain, you know what we know, that we really don't want you to just do that. We don't want you to just learn and go, great, now I understand that. We want you to learn it and use it. Um, we want you to be able to apply it to your own life. And then also, how can you take these truths to serve God and serve others? Um, and ultimately, we want to be doing, doing all of that to be glorifying God. And one way that we do this, one way that we highlight these things is in our adult Christian education, our adult Sunday school class, which you're in now. And each quarter we have at least one of our adult classes that's going to be covering the topic for that quarter. Um, I think this may be the first time we've had two classes that are covering the topic at the same time, which is pretty cool. Um, the topic this quarter is the local church. So today starts the, the, the first Sunday of this quarter and uh, talking about the local church. Um, so you'll get it two ways here uh, in this class which is what makes a healthy church. And then Bob Walther is teaching a class on 1 Corinthians. Now, if you want to get a taste of both, you can be in here in this class and you can attend this one. And then um, all, both classes we record and we post on the website each week. So you can listen to his or if you want to go back and forth and listen to each one of those, that's, you, can, you can take part in both of those. Um, I did say there's three classes. The third one's our newcomers class. We don't record that one, but um, what was I saying there? So we have a dozen or so topics that we highlight, and um, with those, they're, they're covered on the, the quarterly focus. Now, another way that you can get that quarterly focus or, uh, is the weekly podcast. Each week, Bryce and a guest discuss a topic uh, that pertains to that quarterly focus that we are addressing. Um, you can tune in each Tuesday and listen to a conversation uh, that's designed to help you. Um, it's about 20 minutes in time, give or take. Um, so that's a good amount of time to um, listen to it on your drive to work or drive home while you're doing uh, yard work or taking a walk or, or anything like that. That's a, it's a good length. You can do that. And then finally, another way we highlight this is the books that we have. Forgot to bring this out. So each quarter, we have books out there at the ministry table in the lobby. 
Ministry table is the one in the corner, not underneath the TV. Each week I highlight for visitors, visit the visitors table, which is underneath the TV. Yet I have to say that because we have a sign in the front, and people are really great about hanging out at the table in front of the sign. <laughs> you can't see it. So that's, uh, the signs look great. If we could tell people stand to the side, no, that's not a good idea. But anyway, so we've got that. So out there we have, a t- have books that we sell that uh, highlight what we're, or that are part of the quarterly focus. And so this one um, is the, uh, what is a healthy church? This is the, the book. Actually, you can even call it a booklet. Um, it is about 120 pages or so. And um, you can go out there in the lobby. You can purchase one of these. We take cash, check, credit card, debit card, whatever. Um, honor system, you can just grab it. We'll, we'll, it doesn't matter. Uh, we don't make any money off those. We sell them at our cost. So it's just moving that that way. But um, what I have found with, well, this book and then other books is that, the, you know, these are emphasizing the topic that we want to get in front of you and help you to think through. Um, and what I've found is um, I am not the best reader. I, um, I, I struggle sometimes to read. Uh, not that I, like, can't read. Uh, it's like <laughs> I struggle. I don't know how to read. No, it's uh, I'm a slow reader, and especially if it's something I want to learn, like you know I want to learn this, I have to I have to take my time with it, and I'll read, and and I'll probably go back and reread it again. And I, I sometimes I if you ever look at some of my books, like I underline and highlight, and I go back and I go, why was that the part I underlined and highlighted? Like that, but, so I try not to do that now because sometimes I'm going, that, that, that's not what is important. But anyway, enough about me and my reading. I think that um, what I have found that is really helpful if I want to get through a book like this or any of these books is that I will take this book and I will meet with somebody uh, once a week or every other week We'll read that chapter. So, you know, people are busy. Life is different for everyone. And so we say, okay, we're going to read a chapter. And in the next two weeks, we're going to get together. We're going to discuss that. Um, And what I have found is that's that's easier to take small bites because if somebody is really well connected to the church um, and they're serving and doing things, that they're probably reading a number of books. And so um, trying to get somebody to read four chapters a week from, you know, four different books. It's a lot. And so uh, what I do is I, I try and meet with somebody to do that. What I found is when I do that with somebody or somebody did that with me, I'm just mirroring what someone, how they discipled me, was that I know that if I'm going to be reading that, I'm going to be meeting with them in a couple weeks, that they're going to be asking me, hey, what would you think about this chapter? And Number one, I don't want to go, I don't know, I didn't read it. Like, I don't want to have that conversation. But two, I know that, like, that's an easier, it's an easy thing to just read a chapter in a couple weeks and then we can talk about it and then we can uh, help to think through that. And so, and this booklet, I'd encourage you to get it super easy. I said it's 120 pages, but it's like 13 chapters. And if you look, this is tiny. So like even on each page, that's not a lot of words. So 10 pages in this is something you could probably read in five, 10 minutes each chapter um, there. So Small, informal times like that kind of takes the pressure off. It's casual. It's easy to be open and honest. Um, I've also found that people don't read very much. Um, I I read this study that said that the average American reads four books a year. 
Um, actually, they said that's the median. They said the average, uh, I'm, yeah, hold it. The, the, the median reading is four books a year. They said the average is 12, but they also said that that study, most of the people answering that were readers. So it's, uh, yeah, readers are answering a study about how, reading. So they think it's about four books a year. I would say in my experience, most people that I interact with, especially guys, it's less than four books a year. Um, so trying to encourage guys to read. Um, but, you know, you've got technology. We've got internet, social media, video games, fast-paced society, all of that stuff going on. Um, it is hard for people to, to take that out and just get into a book and read it. Um, and I find this to be true about myself. You know, I, I, if someone said, how much do you read in a day? Actually reading probably quite a bit. Reading books, uh, it's a little bit more difficult to, to do that. So um, I, it, it, taking those smaller sections, spreading them out, doing that is, is easy there. Um, I think, too... Um, if we're talking about reading a book and people go, yeah, I don't really read, I use other things or I do something like that, you know, God, the creator of the universe, decided that the way he was going to communicate to us was through a book. So I think if it's good enough for God, it's probably good enough for us, right? That's a little tongue-in-cheek. Yeah, we, we should be reading. So um, the book this quarter is one I found really helpful, um, and we can you know, like I said, call it a booklet. It's not too difficult. This was based on, uh, Mark Dever wrote this, um, and also it is, he expanded it, called Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. So what's a healthy church? Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. This one's a little bigger and thicker. Same concepts. This one's just uh, a um, slimmed down version. Um, these actually started as sermons and articles that he wrote uh, t about um, what he saw would make a healthy church. Um, he called them Nine Marks. He has an organization now called Nine Marks. Um, if you look at it, they can't change the name Nine Marks, but he's actually like at 11 or 13 or something like that. Um, they, we're going to cover more than just Nine Marks, but um, the, the, these are good resources. And so if you want to get this book, read along through the class, that you're happy to do that. That is not required at all. If you don't read it, it's no, no big deal. So I've named this class. So uh, his is Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. This is What is a Healthy Church. I, I titled this class What Makes a Healthy Church. Um, I've used a number of resources. So that Nine Marks, um, Compelling Community, what is the mission of the church, total church, and uh, among a, a few others that have church in the name, I think. So uh, the, there's a, the, many different resources there um, that I've, I've used. So let me pray, and we'll get into the meat of this. Dear God, you are our God that has created this world out of nothing, and in your great sovereign power and wisdom have given us people, this church, this fellowship. You've designed us to be in relationships with you, relationship with you and relationships with one another. Lord, Christ came to seek and save the lost and Lord, you have, have an expectation that we um, would follow you and 
Lord, you have made a way for that to happen. And so we thank you for that. God, I pray that as we start this new quarter, talking about a healthy church, that we will examine what our role is in that, how we can be a healthy church member, that we can um, serve, that we can um, live for you. So Lord, I just want to commit this time to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I really want your opinion um, or your insight on what makes a healthy church. I think we can all agree that uh, church is like a complex entity. It's like an organization of sorts with many people, many facets. It's different agendas, varied experiences. There's different giftedness, distinct personalities, and it's sinful people trying to meet a goal of some kind. But, but we may have different goals or different ways to get there. And we want to be healthy, but there's times we don't even agree on what exactly does a healthy look like. What does it mean to be health, healthy? It's, it's many, the church is many things together. So let me start with this, maybe. What is a church? Now, before I get your feedback on this, I want to highlight a little differentiation here. Um, we, I've heard it said this way, there's the big C church and little C church. Big C, as in like a capital C church, um, is, is the universal church. Um, that's the everyone, all believers. If you become a believer, you're saved, you're in the big C church. And then the little C church, uh, small C, um, this is what we're talking about, the local church. Okay, so this church here, what, how do you define what is a church in that context? What would you say? And there's not just one thing. So, like, let's, let's kind of throw out what, what, what would that look like or, and this isn't a test, so first class, you don't even know. It's not a pop quiz already on the first day. Like, what is it? Local assembly of believers. That's good. Is that what you were going to say too? Man, you hit on a lot of them right there. Okay, so the one and others, living together, serving together. What was the other things that you said I missed? Worship together, Worship together right? That's good. Play together? Play together? <laughs> yeah, yeah, have fun, yeah. What else? Or is that it? Is that, that kind of, yep, go ahead. Under the same teaching together. Okay, that's good. Yeah. Um, what needs to be present to call something a true church? Like, what parts or aspects have to be included for us to differentiate people just hanging out together versus a group that's committed Christians churching? And I made that word up, churching. You have to have a time. You have to have a time. It needs to be a set time. Okay, that's good. Like, we, we, get, we all have to know when that is, we, right? We need to know when we're getting together. That's a good one. Yeah. What else? What other aspects have to be in place for that to say we're, we're churching together? Leadership. Elders, pastors, deacons. That's right. Yeah, we need to have some, some leadership in there. We need, to, we need to know who those are. So designate, like you said, is great. Yeah. 
yeah, we gotta have the we gotta know that what what do we believe? Are there the the core set? Is that are we in agreement there? And and there's some freedom with that. You, I, I, you're right. There's got to be that core. There's some other things outside that we can we can differentiate on. But you're right. It needs to be. We gotta know like when we're worshiping, are we doing the same thing? Are we saying the same thing? Thing. We do have an awesome worship team. Yeah. So do we have to have an awesome worship? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, it helps. That's right. Okay. Oh, you got one. Yeah, give it to me. Church discipline has to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Now, if church discipline happens, there's got to be something else that has to be a part of that. Right? You know what? Membership. Yeah, because if we have church discipline, if you look in 1 Corinthians 5, um, you know, that's the, the, the sin of the man who's um, sleeping with his father's wife, so his stepmom, right? Um, they tell him to like, kick him out, right? Well, if there's no membership, what are they kicking him out of? What is, it, what is that? And he doesn't say kick him out. We can talk, we'll talk about this later. But, you know, that's, it's remove him is what they're saying. So remove him from what, you know? Um, the 18, I just read this. Uh, this is not something that I normally uh, study. The 1861 Swedish Baptist Confession of Faith. But it says, and I, I kind of like it. It says, we believe that a true Christian church is a union of believing and baptized Christians who have covenanted to strive to keep all that Christ has commanded, to sustain public worship under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, to choose among themselves shepherds or overseers, that's pastors and elders, and deacons to administer baptism and the Lord's Supper, to practice Christian church discipline, to promote godliness and brotherly love, and to contribute to the general spread of the gospel. Also, that every such church is an independent body, free in its relation to other Christian churches and acknowledging Christ only as its head. That's a mouthful. Um, put that on a t-shirt. You can. There's a lot of stuff in there. We're going to talk about these things. So, now... If those are all, the, if that's the case, we're talking about all those things, how do we measure church health? How would we say, like we say, what makes a healthy church? How do you determine that a church is healthy? Or how would you figure out that it's unhealthy and we need to get healthy? Any ideas on that? If you got submission of the, the membership and the body of uh, that church sub- submitting. Yeah, you got to submit to your leadership. So if we're doing that, that's a good one. Yeah. And if you're not having that, you're going to have a lot of trouble. And then submitting to the word. Yeah. Are the, are the members and the believers there in that church, are they submitting to the word? You're going to have a lot of problems if that's not happening. Right? What, what are some other things that we would see as, okay... That church may, probably isn't healthy, or that is healthy. Yeah. Preaching of the word. So preaching of the word, right? They're using the word. They're preaching it. Yeah. Yeah. So my goal for this class, in all of those things, we're talking about all those things, is not to present Faith Bible Church as the perfect church. Um, I don't instant, intend to stand before you and say that we have it all figured out here. Um, we're not the beacon of hope and the standard by which all churches should look at and become, okay? Um, you've probably heard the saying that there is no perfect church, but if you find the perfect church, leave because you're going to mess it up, right? 
I think that's, uh, that, that's, that's true. There are no perfect churches. There's always room for improvement. But I don't intend to stand here and point at other churches and to say how they are not healthy. I'm not going to be calling out churches and saying they're not healthy or to name churches and say things that they've done wrong. There may be some of that from Scripture or other things that we may do, but, but that isn't my intent to get up here and go, that's bad, that's bad, that's bad. Now, look at this picture. Can you tell? Can you see? No, you can't see what that picture is. Hey, can we turn the lights down real quick just so they can see this picture? There you go. All right. If the person who had this yard had their front yard that looked like this, came to you in your yard and started pulling weeds in your yard, if they came to you and gave you advice on how to keep your yard neat and tidy, this may be, I may be speaking from personal experience here. Um, Would you take their advice? Is that an example of a well-kept yard that you aspire to have? Probably not. Okay, we can turn the lights back up. If a person with a yard like that is giving you advice, you're probably polite, you're probably smiling, you're nodding your head, but in your mind, you're thinking, they have no idea what they're doing, and why are they telling me what to do? You're thinking that they need to quit meddling and deal with their own problem, right? It's what I want to avoid in this class. I don't want us to, I'm not here, us, I mean me, I'm not here to tell you what makes a healthy church based on experience as part of a leadership of a church. I don't come with some special knowledge of my own that's going to make churches healthy. I'm not saying ignoring any problems and going, oh, I'm going to point at all their problems and I've got it figured out when my yard looks like that. No, Um, We don't go to a thief for advice on how to stop stealing. We shouldn't go to an immoral person uh, asking ethics questions. We don't seek out direction from a lazy person on how to get things done. So for a healthy church, if we're looking at what makes a healthy church and how to be a healthy church, we need to go to the source to figure out what makes a healthy church. And how do we achieve that health? And for us, it starts with God's word. We know that Christ came to earth and ushered in the church age. He made the church and as its maker knows what's good and what isn't. So first, a church consists of Christians. A Christian is someone who is first and foremost has been forgiven of their sin and been reconciled to God the Father through Jesus Christ. And this happens when a person repents of their sin, puts their faith in the perfect work, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. All people were created to worship, and we come out of the womb worshiping. The problem we have before we are saved is that what we worship is a direct contrast to what God created us to worship. Romans 1, 22 through 25 says, Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, 
to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Now, I don't see too many of you worshiping or people in our, around here at all worshiping uh, cr- um, created golden calves, right? Uh, I don't see people doing that. Uh, but there are things that we do worship. Um, even as believers, we struggle with this. But unbelievers here in America, where we see it in, in this world, we worship things like our career or our family, material things, power, um, the opinions of other people. We want good, them to think well of us. Um, different religions. Um, even, even good things people can do, we can worship those things. When a person is saved, their eyes are opened, and they see these things as, as idols, and that they've lived a life of idol worship. They recognize these idols are then also doubly damning because their appetites are never satisfied in this life and they provoke God's wrath in the, life to, in the next life. See, when people are sharing the gospel with others, a common question that gets asked is, if you were to die tonight and stand before God and God said, why should I let you into my heaven How would you answer that? Now, a Christian would answer that question something like this. Well, you shouldn't let me in. I've sinned against a perfect and holy God, and I owe a debt that I cannot repay. But the Christian continues because he knows, but because of your great promises, he's talking to God here, and your mercy, I depend on the blood of Jesus Christ shed as a substitute for me paying for my moral debt, satisfying your holy and righteous requirements and removing your wrath against my sin. See, after salvation, a Christian is now free. They can say no to sin. An unbeliever can't say no to sin. And they can say yes to pleasing God. A Christian is no longer enslaved by the desires to serve themselves, but instead they have the Holy Spirit given desire for Jesus Christ himself and for Christ's rule in their life. The Christian rejoices that Christ is upon the throne and Christians consider Jesus' life a perfect submission to the will and words of the Father and seeks to be like his Savior. So a Christian is someone who has been reconciled to God in Christ and the Christian has been declared righteous and is called to the life of righteousness and lives with the hope of one day being in glory with his God. But that's not all. A Christian isn't only reconciled to God when he's saved, they also reconciled to God's people. You see, Matthew 22, 35-40 says, And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, asking Jesus, Teacher, which is the greatest command, great commandment in the law? And he says to them, You shall love, your, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depends all the law and the prophets. The two commandments, they go together. It's the first commandment 
produces the second commandment, and the second commandment proves the first commandment. So if we are being reconciled to God, then that means we're also being reconciled to everyone else who is reconciled to God. You see, this is required for a church that you have those reconciled to God who are being reconciled to one another. A church is people. Together, we have to have people. Or, let's look in Ephesians 2. In the first half of the chapter, Paul describes salvation God has given through Jesus Christ. And in the second half of the chapter, he is talking about what that means for the relationship between Jews and Gentiles, and so, by extension, between all those who are in Christ. And so, He starts out, he says, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. We are no longer strangers. We are members of the household of God, not just us, but the other believers. So we're fellow members of the household of God. We're joined together. You and the other believers here are joined together. We have a common bond. We're this holy temple. We're we're built together. I was talking with my son, Brent, uh, just last night about church. Uh, He had some questions about things that he was studying in in youth group, and uh, the, the church came up. And so we were working through the difference between what is the invisible church and the visible church. He's been reading a little bit of the Westminster Catechism, and he's like, so he's asking questions, and he says, well, is that the invisible church and the visible church? And, you know, he's, he's not confused by invisible and visible. He understands those. My, he's 17. So, um, but, but, but what, it, like, what exactly is that? When we're talking about the invisible church, what exactly are we talking about? And the visible church, what exactly are we talking about here? And so we, we were having this discussion, and it was, it was really good. And, and in that, then, we were talking about not just that, so not just what's the invisible, what's the, what's the visible, but kind of the ins and outs of that word church. What do we mean when we say church? You know, I, we said we're going to church today. Did that mean this building? No, but yes, in some sense, right? Um, that's a Faith Lafayette, or Faith Church in Lafayette, uh, their pastor always calls it the church house. I think that's kind of an old, like, Baptist uh, statement. And like, we're going to the church house, so we just say church. But, 
in the New Testament, the word church is translated from the Greek word ekklesia. And it has the basic meaning of an assembly or gathering. You know, in centuries before Christ's birth, the Hebrew Bible was translated into Greek. And the, this Greek Old Testament called the Septuagint was the Bible used by many Jews in the time of Christ. And many Christians today are surprised to find out that the word ekklesia is used by somewhere around 65 times in the Greek Old Testament. Most of the time, the word refers to the assembly of Israel when the people of God would gather together before him. You see, like for an example, in Deuteronomy 9.10, it speaks about the day when the Lord had spoken with you on the mountain out of the midst of the fire on the day of the assembly. That's the day of the ecclesia, the day when they gathered together before the Lord. And Joshua 8.35 refers to Joshua gathering all Israel together to hear the law. And it says that there was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel. And on and on it goes. So like 65 or so times. And I just learned something very interesting. That word ecclesia also has a secular background which I thought was, oh, isn't that interesting? Because I, um, I'll talk with people that have um, multi-site churches. Um, I'm like, well, how can you have a multi-site church that has that a gathering when we're in different places, right? Um, and so have those discussions. But this, in this ecclesia, the secular background, the word was used within Greek politics to refer to the assembly of a city's citizens. And we actually see this in the New Testament. So a secular background of how using this, but we see it in, in God's word. In the New Testament in Acts 19, it describes the riot in Ephesus. Verse 32 says that the assembly was in confusion. When the town clerk gets them quiet, he tells them in verse 39 that if you seek anything further, it should be settled in the regular assembly. And then in verse 41, when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. The word assembly in each of those verses is that word ecclesia, where we get the word church. So we can see that church basically, and it's basic word meaning, means assembly. And an ecclesia, a church, is a gathering, but it's not just a gathering, okay? Because that wouldn't make total sense to us. I meet with a group of Christians Tuesday night in my home. Uh, we fellowship, we study God's word, we pray, do most of the things that we would do on a Sunday. We're gathering together in a place at a set time, but we don't call that church, right? We aren't telling people we're going to church Tuesday night. We're saying we're going to small group. So then that's like, how do we determine? What's the difference? Well, the Bible shows us that a church is a group of Christians who not only meet together regularly, but who are bound together by a common commitment to each other, an agreement to be the body of Christ together. 
And that means not only is this uh, church just a gathering of Christians, but it's a specific group that gathers regularly and knows who, who each other is. Um, in Acts, and I just lost that passage. I don't have it in my notes. Um, they talk about... Um, uh, just drew a blank. Something I thought about with that in the gathering. I'm sorry, I missed it. I can't. I'm, I should have. If I'm, I shouldn't go off my notes. So it talks about this in the Bible. Take my word for it. <laughs> John Calvin said, "Wherever we see the word of God purely preached and heard, and the sacraments administered according to Christ's institution, there it is not to be doubted a church of God exists." I think you all hit on quite a few of the things that would happen in a church that are different or separate from what happens in a small group meeting when we have a, a, a worship time somewhere else, something that is different than what happens here on a regular Sunday morning time. And these next couple of months, we're going we're gonna to flesh all this out. Um, I don't think I can necessarily today give you like a, a hard and fast definition of what a healthy church is. And I'm not because I don't think that it exists, but I think we need to break down these different elements and then examine, you know, where our church stands. I want us to be able to look at what are the different parts what do we say is a healthy church? Now, I'm using, like I said, we've got this nine marks of a healthy church, which actually I think is about 13, um, give or take. Um, and that's also in this book as well. Um, that, those things that are listed in there, uh, and Mark Dever actually even says this because he comes, he'll um, come back to this at different times, that those aren't the only marks of a healthy church. But what he says is, if you have a healthy church, these things will exist. And then there's other things that will exist as well besides that. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm not looking. I don't have a desire. I don't want us to be uh, deconstructionists of our church. You know, I don't want us to start looking at our church, start tearing things apart and going, oh, we're really doing a bad job here and doing the thing here. And then the worst thing would be you all look at this, you look at our church after this class and go, well, switching churches. You know, that. <laughs> they wouldn't ask me to teach a class again, I can tell you that. They'd be, we'd be done with uh, Justin teaching classes. But, um, but, but I want us to have a healthy view of the way here at Faith Bible Church we do church. And I welcome, I do, are there areas we could do better? I want us to look at it and go, okay, what, what, how do we see what God's word says is a healthy church? And here's the, here's the great thing um, about the Bible. And you may say, well, why, how is this great? But there are things that are very explicitly clear on what needs to be in a church. But then there's other freedoms God has given us on what exactly does that look like? You guys, I'm sure many of you have been to other churches besides this church. And you see like, the, the worship service is in a different order or they do things different. They add things that we don't do or they don't, whatever that may be. It looks different. And there's freedom in, the, in that. Um, and that's, that's a really great thing. But I want us to have a, a healthy conversation about what makes a healthy church. 
Um, and, I, and I want us to take some time and, and to discuss that. Because, you know, like, just as our physical bodies, we must eat to live. But if we only ate junk food, then we wouldn't be healthy. I was reminded of that documentary um, I can't remember the guy's name, uh, Spurlock, I can't remember his first name, that uh, supersized me, that took 30 days and only ate McDonald's food for uh, three meals a day. And uh, it, what it did to his body was terrible. I mean, it, it was awful. You know, we, we got to sleep, but by only getting two hours of sleep is not enough. And so just like our physical health, the health of a church must contain those certain elements. But if it's just in little bits or in the wrong way, it's not healthy. So we want to identify what those are, and then how do we have a healthy view of those things and live that out? We're part of this church, and we want to gather together with these other believers and live healthy Christian lives. And my hope is that we will come away from this class with an appreciation for what God has done here at FBC and that each of you will have a desire to personally help instill healthy habits and promote the health of this church. Because if we're talking about a church is a gathering of believers, then we each have a, a role to play in that, right? You look throughout the New Testament many times, What's it talk about? What is the picture of a church, the metaphor used? You know, what is it? A body, right? Physical body. So there's a lot of examples of physical exercise and health and those types of things. And so if a part of our body is unhealthy, it causes problems for the rest of the body, right? Um, so that goes along for us. If there's someone in our church that is not operating the way they're supposed to, not healthy like they're supposed to be, spiritually speaking is what I mean, that causes problems for the rest of the body. So how do we, how do, we do that? That's my goal. That's what I'm looking at. That's what I want to see is what makes a healthy church. <laughs>